Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, November 17th, 2021, and this is episode 2985. As it is Wednesday, it is interview day, and I have Gray Wolf from Polarity Exchange. Who is Gray Wolf? If you don't know, well... You will soon. Very well known in the cryptocurrency industry. Been around a really, really long time. Currently working with Turtle Network and Polarity.exchange, which is a decentralized exchange. If you're thinking, I think I've heard of Polarity before. Well, if you were around about a year-ish ago, um, not quite a year-ish ago, but like last January, 2813 was the episode where I had Tony Nguyen, who's one of the partners in Polarity Exchange on, and we talked a lot about DEXs and things like that then. Polarity reached out, and they wanted to send someone on to talk more about cryptocurrency in general and let us know what's going on with Polarity as well, and uh, suggested Grey Wolf, and I was like, well, but of course. So uh, we have Grey Wolf on. This should be a really, really awesome interview. As I keep telling you guys, cryptocurrency is not going to go away. You have to stop trying to pretend it's not there if you're in that camp. And if you are in that camp, you're going to learn some really great things today. And um, there are people I know that are like, man, is this a cryptocurrency podcast? Because we talk about it, you know, in depth at least a couple times a month. And uh, we mention it weekly in some, you know, even if it's like a bullet point show where we're going through a bunch of different topics, it'll always be in there. The single greatest change in the system of economics in the world in the life of any living human And this is a podcast about lifestyle design and surviving and thriving in a changing world. Yeah, we're going to talk about it, and we'll be talking about it with Grey Wolf here in just a moment. Before we do, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Starting out today, KnifeKits.com. I think one of the things that we're going to be talking about next week in a show is the new economy, not from the way we're talking about it today with crypto, but in people valuing things differently, people valuing things that are made by hand. People valuing things that come from their own community. That doesn't mean every piece and part must come from their own community, but something that is unique about it, something that makes it valuable. And that means that we need to be learning new skill sets. We really do. And I, I would put it to you this way. If you had pitched somebody on the idea of Etsy before Etsy was a thing, and what they were looking at is the space is dominated by Walmart offline and Amazon online, they would have said, you're insane. Why would somebody buy this little hokey thing made by this little hokey person from this little hokey town when you can buy a thing that does the same thing for a quarter of the price from Amazon? Why? Because we value what people put into the creation of things. That's why. KnifeKits.com gives you a great starting point to start developing a skill set to make heirlooms to hand down from your fa through your family. And if you're brand new to knife making, you can get started there. And if you're a master bladesmith, you'll find everything you need. Check them out today at KnifeKits.com. Remember, they do a discount for MSB members. Next up today, the Free State Project. I've been supporting these guys since 2009. Since 2009. I've, I've given keynote addresses at Liberty Forum for them three times. I think, I'm not sure, I think I'm the only person that's ever done a keynote more than once. I, 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 re I really do. I mean, I, I will do whatever I can to help promote the idea of liberty anywhere is good for liberty everywhere. But is the Free State Project and moving to New Hampshire is in voting with your feet right for you? I don't know. But the truth is, neither do you. But what if you could just go on a vacation and meet some really cool people and basically have your vacation 
but also meet some really cool people and be like, well, where do I find this? Where do I find that? And have insiders there that will say, hey, we'll welcome you. We'll kind of help you enjoy your vacation more. And you learn a little bit more about the place than just taking a vacation and seeing what only the tourists see. You can do that with the Free State Project. You can always learn more about the Free State Project by going to fsp.org. And if you add slash visit NH, you'll learn all about the program where you can make your vacation uh, something that also checks just to see if you can improve your life by voting with your feet and becoming part of the Free State Project. With that, I want to say, hey, Gray Wolf, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Well, hi, folks. Uh, welcome to uh, today's podcast. Uh, we're going to be uh, interviewing uh, Nathan Gray Wolf here in just a moment. If you're watching the live stream, you'll notice that uh, Gray Wolf is just a small picture. That's due to a video issue on his end, but he's, he's here with us. And with that, I want to say, hey, Gray Wolf, man, welcome to uh, the Survival Podcast. Gosh, thanks so much for having me. I uh, I wish I could have made it to the first uh, meeting, but here I am for the second, so glad to have made it. Yeah, I had Tony on not quite a year ago. I said that during my intro segment uh, for the audio side of the show, um, and I was really excited to have you this time around, get a bit of a different perspective. Of course, you're uh, working with uh, Polarity.Exchange. It's my favorite DEX out there, Decentralized Exchange. We'll talk about that some today, but we're going to also talk about kind of the overall uh, crypto space more than anything else. Can we start on, on that? How did you personally get involved with cryptocurrency and blockchain? Oh, man. Funny story. Very funny story. Um, I'll just do my best to kind of give the highlights. Um, you know, for me, like my journey formally began in 2015. But before that, obviously, I had heard about crypto. Right. I mean, Bitcoin had been out since 2009, 2011 time. And, uh, you know, I had heard kind of whispers of it. I had seen mentions of it online. It just didn't click to me, you know. So I, uh, I, I made an attempt to try and buy a couple coins for like $50 or something. Uh, and my dad had caught me trying to go to Western Union to make the payment. And he was like, Western Union, what are you doing? He's like, where are you going? And I was like, I'm buying some Bitcoins. And he was like, that sounds like an absolute scam. And if you do that, you're going to be kicked out of the house and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, as strong of a response as he had, it created like this reservation in my mind where I was like, you know, I'm going to come back to this. I will get I will get back to this. Um, and so, yeah, that brings me to like 2015. So, you know, I was working this job at a at a vape shop in Chicago, um, you know, and, and I really enjoyed the job. I felt like I was helping people. They were quitting cigarettes and going digital. And in this time, you know, Bitcoin was starting to trend again. I had, I had seen like these physical ATMs within my city and I was just like, that's really interesting. If there are these ATMs then there's clearly some like real monetary value going on here. Um, and after it kind of began to like click to me, I just took all my salary money and just started buying Bitcoin. And that was kind of the beginning of my journey. You know, uh, I was in this mindset of like, how can I help? Because, you know, when it came to Bitcoin, the number one message I was hearing was like, do you want to be a positive change? Well, you need to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I bought Bitcoin. I've changed things. 
And then I slowly began to realize, like, no, I haven't. Like, I just took the first steps towards kind of changing. Um, and, you know, my journey really kind of went very quickly from there. 2016, I started looking around at, like, the ICOs that popped up. Of course, I missed Ethereum and I missed, you know, all the good ones. Um, and I ended up seeing this white paper for this project called Waves. And I was like, a DEX? Well, that's pretty neat. You know, I was like, you're talking about an exchange that's decentralized. Um, and, you know, of course, with every white paper, there's promises of the sky and more. And so, of course, you know, knowing my overzealous attitude, I just kind of jumped into it and put all the Bitcoin I had into this project. Um, and yeah, that was my beginning into like learning yeah. about, you know, how Bitcoin sits in the environment and how all the derivatives kind of function off of it. Um, and so, yeah, uh, from there, like I began to contribute. I said, how can I help out waves? How can I help out community? Right. Um, so I started some initiatives. So I ran uh, a node on the network and I would donate all of the mining proceeds that I made as an operator to a fountain that would allow people to like get free waves so they would have gas because, you know, with every blockchain, you have the issue of, well, if I don't have the gas, I can't actually do anything. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I kind of worked forward from there and tried to learn like, OK, so if I can run a blockchain node, what else can I do? Right. So I tried doing some consulting. I worked with a couple other crypto projects, tried to really get my foot in, you know, into the field. Um, and it was just it was very difficult. Um, you know, I can't say that I found success immediately. Um, because it was really kind of my introduction to to business and really decentralized business. Um, eventually, in the end, I you know wasn't feel like my contributions were were having as much impact as I would have liked. Um, and so, some friends introduced me to a fork of Waves that's completely community driven, community developed, and that's called the Turtle Network. Um, and so, you know, that's where I've kind of been for the last two years, maybe a little bit longer. Um, and the kind of contributions that I, I've been trying to make is um, at a at a kind of business developer level. How can I look at the deficits in this platform and find ways to address those deficits? Um, and, you know, for me, it's like it's really key, like trying to spend um the least amount possible, not saying like being uh, like cheap, but in crypto, if you're really driven and you can find other really driven people and you guys can agree on a bunch of outcomes together, you can often use collaboration to develop an innovative solution that may have costed a hundred times that if you had just went out and paid contractors, right? Um, and Absolutely. so, yeah. And so for me, that's like kind of the, the summarize, like how I got into crypto um, and where kind of my journey took me. I, I I'm told by a lot of my peers, I have what's called a bias for action. Um, so for me, I just 
you know, I look at a scenario, situation, whatever, and uh, I'm always interested to want to try and help or improve or however I can make some impact for others. And as you got involved with Turtle Network, you also involved with Polarity uh, at Polarity.exchange, which is a, a DEX or decentralized exchange. For some of my people that maybe are not really familiar with exactly what that means, what is a decentralized exchange and how is it different from, let's say, like a Coinbase that is clearly a centralized exchange or even like a CoinX that is maybe no KYC but still centralized? Sure. So, you know, what I'm going to first start off is that in crypto, people like to take terms and apply them to a project that may somewhat meet the criteria definition but may not be 100% is a lot of projects who will use a title and it may be a little bit different from what the standard is. So to just explain a decentralized exchange, um, it basically is a way for two peers to exchange cryptocurrency directly between each other without having a centralized custodian. So in the case of Coinbase, when you deposit some Bitcoin into your Coinbase account, what happens? Well, the deposit address that you sent the Bitcoin to, it's confirmed the money. So what happens is on the Coinbase ledger, which is a central server that they run from a headquarters, it credits your Coinbase ledger with the amount of currency that you deposited. Now, the reason why decentralized exchange is arguably better than centralized is that if there is a failure of operation, so let's discuss some failures of operation. There's security failures, um, and that's where we're really going to dive into most. Let's say someone hacks Coinbase. What happens to your coins? They can be taken. Um, and there's really, I mean, there is repercussion through their FDIC insurance, but if the amount's over 500,000, you're not getting that back. Um, and so when you look at a decentralized exchange, the real key here is that there is no centralized party that can be exploited for the user funds. Um, it's like, a user is going to make a trade and the trade happens from their address to the other address directly. Um, and so that's really why DEX is a special technology in general. So you look at Ethereum. So if I got into, if I got into Coinbase, you know, maybe I don't get into all of Coinbase, but if I got into Coinbase and got in particular into like their, their, their Bitcoin stash or their Cardano stash or whatever, like I can start looting that and some of that's allocated to you. But if I get into polarity, however I would do that, for every single user, there's a different wallet. That's so you're, you're looking at you know, hundreds of thousands of targets versus, let's say, one target. Correct. Correct. Yeah, it, it really is taking the, the whole point of decentralization and leveraging on it. Because as you just stated, it's much harder to target and exploit 100,000 addresses as opposed to just hitting one, right? Um, and, and that's kind of the thing with Coinbase is, you know, they have a very centralized operation. And if something does go wrong, uh, the person can just walk off with everything in one go. 
What do you think about? I'm sure there's some hot and cold wallet balance systems, but the loss would be pretty dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's kind of move in with this too, since we're talking a little bit about decentralized versus centralized exchanges. A lot of crap going on with, um, uh, regulation right now. What do you see coming? I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I think, real issue with the stuff that was buried in the infrastructure bill. There's some FUD too. Yeah. Could be interpreted. Everything government does could be interpreted like of, of anything. But how do you think that the evolving landscape of regulation affects crypto? How does it affect innovation? And just to make it even more, how does, how does a decentralized exchange play a role in that? And how does it affect you? I mean, you guys are decentralized exchange. If you're U.S. based, then this maybe would apply to you, but you're not, but you have U.S. customers. How, how does that all work? Yeah. So I guess I'll start with kind of polarity. Uh, polarity actually operates as a global entity. So, you know, it doesn't have a focus on any one particular region. It doesn't focus to service. Uh, it, it's just like a global operation and the whole, the whole of the operation is based on, um, you know, being, uh, regulatorily advantageous to say. So at the base core of, you know, polarity, you look at it and you go, okay, well, there should be some issue with this, right? Um, but polarity itself doesn't handle any fiat at any point. Like there, there's none in, in the system. Um, now, you know, I was going to announce this later, but as we've just added fiat, I'll explain how that works. Um, so for us, we work with what's called a partner network. Uh, and so for our fiat partner, it's this company Transac and Transac is itself another partner network. So if you go to deposit or purchase with polarity, you would click the buy crypto button. And then it's going to open up what's called an iframe, which passes your connection through to a partner. At that point, you can type in, you know, credit card details, what you want to buy. Um, and basically, they're going to handle all the due diligence. They're going to handle all the legal portions. And they're going to route all the back-end fiat operations according to all the up-to-date banking laws, FATF, and all that stuff. So when it comes to polarity, it's it's kind of like a cake, right? So you have the base layer of operation, which is just crypto to crypto. Um, and that's that's totally, you know, locked and loaded, good to go. And then on top of that, we now have this fiat service. Um, but because polarity is not actually doing any of the servicing itself, um, it puts all of the responsibility onto the operator who's transacting. Um, so for any, you know, like regulation related questions, I guess it would be better uh, for us to specifically ask Transac about particular regions. Um, and then just to talk about like the benefit of decentralized exchange, it's really most evident if you look at like um, Ethereum, for example. If you look at the breakup of all the volumes over the last two years, the volume of uh, decentralized exchange has gone up over a hundred times and it, it's constantly accelerating. So over the years, how I foresee things happening is that you have two halves of crypto. The first half is like regulated, right? So it's like the Coinbase's, the Kraken's, XYZ's. And then you have the other half of crypto, which is people just using Uniswap. 
people just using polarity, people just using dexes. And when they want to come off board, they have to go to this other set of networks, basically. Um, I, I don't particularly think that's going to change. Um, you know, polarity is very closely surveying the situation to see if we can't find an offboarding solution that doesn't involve those parties. Um, but that's going to be a rolling development because as we kind of touched on, like, you know, regulations are constantly changing. They're very difficult. Um, and they're all operating off of these, you know, lines in the sand model. So it, there's no kind of carte blanche approach you can take. Gotcha. Gotcha. What do you think excites you the most right now in the crypto space as a whole? Like what's the most exciting thing that's going on? Definitely the innovation. Um, I mean, every day I wake up, I find something impressive on Twitter. Um, and, you know, for me, like, and while obviously, you know, we're not offering this service, I'm, our company's analyzing this service because we very much want to copy it. But the idea is that, um, so let's say you want to buy a house, right? You would need to get a mortgage or you would need to, deal with the, the banking sector and, and now you have to pay interest and you have all these different factors, right? So there are some protocols that have released that have been running for at least six or more months. So they're stable or perceptively. Um, and the idea is that you can lock your collateral and you can borrow money similar to how you would borrow from a bank. But the difference is you're not paying interest anymore the collateral that you lock is actually going right into a yield farm. So the loan that you take out is paying itself off. Oh, that's interesting. That's like a reverse <laughs> yeah, Michael yeah. Saylor. Michael Saylor is like when you retire, buy a, borrow against your Bitcoin, never spend your Bitcoin, and then refinance, right? That is collateralize your Bitcoin or other crypto in some sort of, some sort of DeFi arrangement allow the interest yield on the crypto to pay your mortgage. That, of course, if you're doing everything above board, would be a taxable event, but it's only that portion, which is also paying for your house, which your income would have paid anyway. So basically, instead of paying interest, you're using interest to pay for your house. Yeah. You got to have a pretty big stack to do that, but it's it's definitely doable. I mean, just for people, I know a little bit about yield farming. A lot of people don't. What kind of interest uh, could a person expect in that situation to be, uh, you know, I don't moves, but a base value. Yeah. So I'm just going to go and give like the most consistent average I've seen. So, you know, the market goes up, obviously the APY goes up, but when the market was in a real lull, it was floating around like 7% APY. So, you know, it, it's so it was 7% that, when it sucked. Yeah. It was 7% when it sucked. So, <laughs> you know, in my mind, I was like, I was like, damn, that's like really impressive. Um, you know, especially because, I mean, when, when you just think about DeFi, it's really kind of a miracle. We're talking about institution grade operations that used to be like, they go on in the darkness. Like you can't see what's happening in bank finance. You know what I mean? Whereas here, not only can you see everything that's happening, but all the numbers make sense. And if the numbers don't make sense, it crashes. 
And it's collateralized debt, right? So, like, Correct. the the lender is covered by the buyer's collateral, right? So yeah. it's not like where we can just keep leveraging up, leveraging up, like some of these stupid trading platforms even in crypto or with fiat where, like, banks are just issuing more debt and issuing more debt and going, well, the Fed will buy it if there's a problem because we are the Fed. Like, it's a totally different world. And this is what I've kind of, like, tried to point out to people, like, you know, we I just mentioned Michael Saylor's strategy, but you could have a dual strategy in retirement if you had – you know, really high end crypto like Bitcoin. Yes, you could be borrowing against it, but at the same time, the balance that's not, not neat necessary could be lent. Right. And yeah, you're going to pay tax on the interest on the lend, but you're still maintaining your overall gain on the underlying value of the Bitcoin as an equity. So then it, it starts to become in this situation, basically it's like a dividend producing stock. And in your analysis, the, or you're the way you're doing it there, the dividend is being used to pay for your house. In my way, the dividend's being used to pay for whatever the hell I want, or that dividend could be reinvested. It's all up to the investor. And like, see, this is where I think we actually, I, I hate saying this because I hate the state, but the state's there. And if they're going to be there, we need some new regulation because how do you regulate that? Even if you are the most ethical of state regulators, which is pretty unethical, but you, you're really trying to do it right. They don't have anything. Their existing regulations don't work here. It's, right. it's impossible. To use most of, I don't think most people realize most of the regulations that we have in our financial markets come from somewhere between about 1900 to about 1955. Yeah. So, yeah, like it's it's insane that we've we've gone that long with it that way. But it's benefited the the elites for it to be that way. Now it's like, okay, you're going to use your 1950s tech. We're going to use our 2020 tech, and let's see who wins. And there's really no way for them to get their arms around this. No, and, you know, that's where it kind of gets a little bit more uh, – I mean, the waters are murky. I'm not going to lie at all. Um, it's very murky waters, and the technology that existed in the 1930s, it was uh, – there were just much different things. And I understand that, like, at an ethical and, and moral level, some of these might, like, kind of apply. Like, for example, like, I think my favorite – Example of like old laws is uh, the Chicago Onion Futures ban. Do you know that one? I do not. Oh my god, this is a good story. Um, anyone who's interested should look it up. It, type in like Chicago Onion Futures. So there's this guy in you know like 1925 uh, around this period of time, and he has this idea. He he sees how markets are working and that like you know how futures work and basically futures are this weird system of contracts that you make they're just bets right and so he realized that he could basically issue a bet for whatever he wanted and so he got this idea he's like all right well i can issue whatever bets i want i'm gonna try and uh gain a dominance over the onions <laughs> and so he goes to every farmer he can and he basically he's asking for futures contracts, asking for futures contracts. He ends up controlling the market. The market explodes, you know, and he sells all his positions. Um, anyways, the thing with futures is that, like, when they come to expiry, like, you you know, you have to either, like, deliver on them. Someone's going to have to pay. And so when they had to deliver, um, they delivered all the onions to the actual futures market in Chicago and basically the streets were filled with onions because they're oh, trucks of onions 
And so, yeah, they were like, okay, well, no more onion futures. No more. That law has, that law is still in effect today. Even though. Instead like, of understanding the actual years. problem was with the mechanism yeah. of delivery on the contract, right? Like, just, yeah. well, we'll just do this with onions. Surely nobody would ever do it with apples or pigs or, yeah. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's an example of government incompetence is still here. Right. And now they're trying to regulate something. They don't they don't even understand it. They really don't. Um, That's the scariest thing is that they have no comprehension of really what this is. Yet they're acting in such certainty as if they do understand what's happening. And yeah, I like it to like innovators are getting very scared. Yeah. I mean, I like it to a lot of us have a significant amount of our life force embedded in crypto now. Right. And this is like having a surgeon who, to be blunt, is a retard, but has control of the operating room and some scalpels and equipment and has every, you know, can just start cutting and moving around inside your body. Like, and I think the problem with that is, I think there's people like you and me, do what you want. We're going to innovate around it. You ain't getting it. It's mine. Good luck. But like, if we really want this to go to like kind of the next level now, then you, we are moving to the point where people get upset, like seeing like corporations adopting it and all. And I'm, if it's going to succeed, that's what's going to happen. Like, okay. there's so much chartered money that wants to come into this, but without that guidance, without that certainty, they won't do it. So, again, I hate the state, but I agree with Michael Saylor when he says, like, regulation, if you're in crypto now, is going to make you rich. You know, oh, that doesn't mean oh, you, you trust them. It's because then all their buddies come in. Yeah. No, like, that's one of the most important things that, that I've – kind of been explaining to anyone that's interested, especially my parents, you know, like they're finally coming around to it, you know, and, and, you know, kind of the thing that they're saying is they're like, this is, this is such an interesting technology. Um, and, you know, I'm just trying to explain to them that at the end of the day, like the more regulation that comes, like the better, um, People really don't understand this. And coming from someone like me, people are probably very surprised hearing that. But people don't understand that regulation can be positive if it's crafted in a positive way, right? Um, what you see coming in now with the laws being pushed is it's those crooked people who are being paid lots of money by people to write what they're being told to write down and just vote it in. Um, and, you know, that's the issue is basically for crypto to go to the next level, right? Sailor, um, Barry Silbert, uh, Galaxy Fund, Novogratz, right? All these guys need to team up. All these guys need to say, all right, now we need to buy lobbyists. Now we need to push policy. We need to make this favorable for all of our industry friends. And this way we can all buy in. And so one of the things you're starting to see is like with the ProShares ETF, right? That's a great example of something that's tremendously positive for cryptocurrency. Because if you have a 401k, which is something that normally, you know, oh, it's a tax-free vehicle. Oh, but you can't buy crypto because that's not a security. Well, now with this ETF, you can roll your whole 401k into bit O or the next one or the next one. And that assures you exposure to crypto at a, at an institutional level so that you get your tax benefit, you get your investor protections, you get everything that you were looking for in the legacy finance setting, um, while also giving this 
unfettered access to retail, which is where most of the money's parked. It's sitting with retail. Yeah, and I think the bigger news will be when we finally get a spot ETF. Like a lot of people are leery on futures, and they should be because it's not the yes, same as yes. just buying Bitcoin. Uh, that's another issue where people are like why they do. I think they did it for two reasons. One, because they can, with that much money in a, a you know a short and long sales position added to the existing Bitcoin futures market, uh, and they can do a lot of playing and manipulation of price for a time. And I personally think there's a lot of really rich people that are like, damn it, now I know this is going to happen. I should have. And if they can drive things down for a while to get their piece because they got front run, they'll do it. But the other side is we're back to those regulations. Like they don't really know how to regulate a spot ETF for Bitcoin. I think it's an excuse, but I also think it's true at the same time. Like futures are so well defined that you're not regulating a Bitcoin futures ETF as a crypto ETF. You're regulating it as a futures ETF. You move in the spot. Basically, it's like SLV for silver, right? And how do you, like, what, and you and I would just go, well, duh, just do it the same way. But, you know, in government, every T has to be crossed, everything, and every dummy in the chain has to be able to look at their little piece that tells them what to do. It doesn't exist right now. Correct. Yeah, that's one of the biggest hurdles with crypto is the fact that it's been such a, evolutionary technology in that it's like kind of constantly kept changing. And while that's been a benefit to the stability of the ecosystem on a technical level at like a legal level, it's just kind of made it. So like if anyone began looking at Bitcoin from a regulatory perspective in 2009, I argue by where we're at today, it's, it's the landscape somewhat changed, um, you know, and, and, that might be part of why they can't ever agree on anything is because a lot of the, you know, things are changing. But I would argue that with Bitcoin reaching more of this matured phase where like less stuff is changing, I think we have a much better shot now than we did before. No, I, I would agree. And That also leads me to like, so Bitcoin's pretty easy to understand. There's all these things we can do with it, layered protocols, et cetera. Um, but I think p people have kind of grasped the whole idea of like the use case of Bitcoin. The biggest use coin, uh, biggest use case is it stores the value of your time, your labor, your earnings in a pristine form of capital with, with a known monetary policy that can't be changed. I don't hate Ethereum, but they've changed their monetary policy like five times, right? Bitcoin, yeah, yeah. since day one, same monetary policy. I feel like, well, they added this. or they, No, they just activated Taproot. That's not what I mean. I mean their monetary policy, the core monetary policy, unchanged, right? But there are other use cases. What are your thoughts on some use cases in crypto? Um, specifically for, like, Bitcoin taking a further use case? Or any Or any. I'm just using Bitcoin as like an example. Um, Most people get Bitcoin at that basic use case. Like now, yeah, what else I mean, can we do? I would argue that like, and obviously this is many years early that I'm making this statement, but like because Bitcoin now has taproot, it can like start to kind of do smart contracts. But that's kind of like the most, that's like the biggest use case for blockchain technology is that you can write a program with a fixed set of rules publish it on a blockchain, and not everyone on the planet can use that software unfettered. Um, and so 
you know, obviously, while I, I believe like Ethereum's an amazing platform and it's it's very good with DeFi execution, um, I'd love to see Bitcoin give DeFi a shot because, um, you know, there's just so there's there's seemingly a much better level of kind of hash rate securance on it um, where. OK, if I were to build a decentralized application today. I would probably not build it on Ethereum um, or an EVM chain. Um, and, you know, my thinking for this is because all these other Ethereum forks are all based on Ethereum. And if Ethereum doesn't scale, none of the others are going to scale adequately either, is my opinion. Um, and, of course, people have the argument, oh, F2 is coming, F2 is coming. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the F2 network and you can... You can only issue send transactions. That's it. You can't do smart contracts. Um, like six months ago, they had an issue where the chain was splitting because the nodes couldn't keep a synchronized time with each other. I'm like, yeah, I don't know that F2 is coming, you know, anytime soon with any level of reliability. Um, so I'm super interested to see what Bitcoin can do. Um, and there are just like a lot of other technologies that are really kind of trying to push the envelope. Like, I'm not sure if you've looked into Cosmos too much, but that's a fascinating project. Yeah, there's there's two I'm kind of really interested in as those, you know, alternative projects. One is Cosmos, which is like everything Ethereum is trying to become, and it's already here. And then one that I think has some more specialized um, applications is Algorand. Those two I find very interesting and I find some very interesting use case scenarios in them, like, you know, Algorand basically helping El Salvador build a public records blockchain. So if you think about public records, I don't need I don't need you to pre- I don't need to prevent you from finding out the information in public records. They're public. What I need to secure is your ability not to alter them. And if you start looking at that, like if we start building public records blockchains using maybe some of these alts, and maybe they're better at least now than doing it with some. And I don't even know why you would need a Bitcoin for something like that. It's not really a monetary transaction, right? You need a monetary value to provide. Both of those are proof of stake, and we'll get into that in a bit. So some sort of reward for the people that provide the security. But it's not like trying to secure a trillion dollars. Like a trillion dollars requires Bitcoin-level security. Like it's it's making sure that Bill's car is Bill's car, right? And if you do that, then if it's Bill's house and you buy Bill's house – you know that $2,200 you paid the title company for a title search the last time you bought a house? Guess what? We don't need that anymore. And so I think exactly. use case in blockchain, a lot of it is elimination of people and needless processes that we've had built in. Like if you really do smart contracts, right, you could probably build something that, I don't know, somebody that's somebody goes out and takes a few different pictures of a house, a satellite overlay, and boom, the smart contract generates a reliable appraisal of value sends that information over to one of the things you talked about earlier to approve a loan to buy the house. Exactly. How many jobs are gone? Like, And jobs of people that hold down desks and work 10% of the time they're actually sitting there occupying space. Right. Uh, You know, that's an important thing that I wanted to point out is, like, a lot of people look at this like, oh, it's, it's, it's eliminating jobs. It's a threat. No, it's actually making like life easier for everyone because those people who probably don't care about their job are doing a sloppy job. And when you offload this 
onto people whose livelihoods are securing this network that runs your software. It's just, it's a whole different story. Like you have inherent trust. You don't have to worry if someone's edited the data entry. Um, you can see the history of changes. So you can say, oh, okay, well, the loan office has changed the current appraisal, right? Well, that was an authorized interaction. You don't have to worry about any weird stuff going on. And, you know, that's where blockchain really shines is its transparency. I think if you add to that, like something like using NFTs for something that's not stupid, like selling pictures of ducks or something, like all of a sudden we could take like the title to a car and NFT it. And that works right, in conjunction with that public records blockchain. And when I sell you my car, there's no lost title or some crap like that. The NFT literally transfers from me to you. And then there's a public record that you own that car. And then when somebody drives it through somebody's house, maybe it was stolen. Maybe you did it, but it's not my problem anymore. Right. Yeah. You got the car, the yeah, smart yeah. contracts that it was delivered, the public records there, but you also are holding now title to the good. And that's like the case for NFTs that I see is like, have it actually attached to something like it, 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 you know, not a JPEG that can be, you know, just screen captured. Right. I, I think that exactly. I'm scared for that area. I think it's going to be like crypto kitties times 10. Like it'll do good for the space. Cause I don't know how many young people, especially I've heard get involved because of NFTs, but like, I think at some point you're going to look at all those pictures of, I don't know, robots or basketball players or something and think, what did I do? You know, and if, <laughs> like, what, what have I done? You know, I just, I don't see that working, but I think the NFT technology, like when I learned you could fractionalize them and I'm like, Oh, the, for now, anyway, the bullshit regulation can get around with that. Like I know one company is using Algorand to develop their NFTs and they're NFTing rental houses and you can buy fractional wow, ownership in a rental house. Uh, that's being yeah. done. In, the reason I'm not in on that one is being done in Cincinnati. Um, but. Like the fact that they did it and like, you know, the alphabet agency didn't kick the door in and send them off the, the club fed. Like that means you can do it. And I think one of the ways they did it is they didn't raise the money and then buy the house. They bought the house and then fractionalized the house with an FT. Right. That's totally yeah. different than pre raising the capital. Right. Um, right. So it looks like they did it no, legally it's... and smart, but like you start looking at that and go, well, what can't you do? I mean, have you ever seen like uh, veterans memorials? Right. And they say like, you can buy a brick. And you, you can inscribe it, your, your, your message on that brick, like dedicated to a soldier from your life, or whatever. And they raise funds for the veterans memorial by selling bricks on the walk that goes up to it. Like great idea. Like think what NFTs could do with that. Like, you know, I could see instead of having wasted money on marble, like this screen that just scrolls through the people that help make it happen. Right now we've digitized the result with a claim to it. And like, then where does that go? I think there's like, I think as we're, what people aren't realizing is we're taking a lot of things that had weight and we're making them weightless. And like the number one thing we've done with Bitcoin is gold. Like we've basically reduced gold to photons and now it can go anywhere. And then anything that, that is tied to it can go anywhere. If that makes sense. Oh, hundred percent. We killed the gravity. Well, is what I'm saying. There's no gravity. Well, right? Like, you know, it's like taking off from the moon's easy. Taking off from Earth is hard. Like we made everything like taking off from the moon. Oh yeah, we we have a tremendous place to to jump off from. Um, and speaking on NFTs, some like other applications. Um, you know, I think that it has a really interesting space for like licensing and royalties. So like, I saw. So I don't even want to talk about the JPEGs. Um, I saw this really cool 
project. And it was, so first of all, let me say that uh, it was either Aphex Twin or another one of these really intense fringe kind of electronic artists. They released an album uh, in the format of an NFT. And what kind of blew my mind was like, Okay, right. So one person purchased this record, right? And so now one person has these tracks. What about everyone else? Well, the idea is that if you would like a copy of this record, you can order a physical copy. But when you purchase it, you have to purchase it using F and 50% goes to the owner of the album and 50% goes to the artist. Uh, and it's like a smart contract. So it's guaranteed that those two parties have that delivery. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's where like it could become very interesting for media is that you turn the artist and the purchaser or sorry, the artist and the owner into like uh, their own record label. Right. Like they become yeah. the issuer of content. Yeah. I mean, I watch some of these guys that make music on YouTube. Right. And they don't have a label or anything, but they have. 50,000, 500,000 or more followers. And they're putting out like a song a week. And I see them wanting to release like a digital EP and then being able to go, you know, I'm going to sell a thousand shares in the, the, the cover song of this EP in NFTs. And then, you know, maybe that's pretty affordable, but that gets all the production done. Then that goes out into the ecosystem and it goes on, gets, gets sold on iTunes or whatever. Like it, it goes however, get however it goes. But then. Those thousand fans that each bought an NFT have a little piece of the royalty of that exactly. song. Well, who, who do you think is going to share your song more? The guy that heard it and thought it was cool or the guy that owns a piece of it, right? Exactly. He's going to, he's going to push that like, like crack in a crack neighborhood, man. He's going to be like, you got to listen to this. And he's going to tell his buddies, I own a piece of that, right? And that story yeah. itself is viral. When, when I heard about how that was being done in music, I was like, we could do it with authors. Like, imagine like a Kindle store, but it's not on Amazon. Cause and I, Jeff Bezos, you're not allowed to do this. It's my idea, right? Like, <laughs> like have like a, like, you know, an app driven, uh, ebook store. And when you buy a book, let's say I buy Gray Wolf's book on cryptocurrency and I read it and I'm like, that was great. I really don't want to keep it in my library. I can offer it for resale. And both I and you get, we split that resale. And then right. there's only, and then maybe that sells for less than retail, but there's only as many of those available as are actually available because it's NFT. Right. And then that goes on forever. Like you've sold off your copy of the book, but then the next time it resells, you know, I and that next person or you and that next person split that. And, you know, that could, that could run on infinitum. And like if you're an author, how much better is that than the deal you get right now? Set and control your own price. Just, you know, define. And you, when you bought the book, you know, resale value is, and you get, you know, 30%. It's still a better deal for you. You can't do that on Kindle. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I can't specifically speak too much to like what it's like, uh, publishing like books, but all I know is from the industry of creatives that usually they get about 10% of the profits. Yeah, it's not a lot. And that, you know, the aggregated service could be fully decentralized. It could be making a point. It could make one point off this, right? Like it would have very low overhead. And then your author is getting the majority. Your creator is getting the majority of the money. You could do it with anything. It's a creative, electronically deliverable good. That, But the easy yeah. one, right? We're going to make a red square and sell it for $500. But anyway, <laughs> um, 
you know, we're talking right now about all these things, and none of these things really require, like, a high level of privacy. In fact, some of them, like, you don't really want – like, if you have a public records blockchain, it's public. You don't want it private. If we if we use crypto to build some sort of a um, – uh, like a social media site, we don't want it private. It's public. It's for the people to see. But how do you feel about privacy as a whole and things like privacy coins and – uh, maybe the effect of things like Taproot on Lightning and the privacy it brings to even Bitcoin. Um, so I'm just going to start off by kind of stating where I stand on privacy. I think it's a, a God-given right, first of all. And, you know, there are mentions in, like, the Constitution to, like, people being able to remain private, and it's kind of like a right of theirs. Um, so I 100% think that the technology has a place. Um and, you know, to kind of talk about use case to to show that, like, I really do believe wholeheartedly in, like, technology first approaches. Um, I think, like, privacy coins would work amazing, uh, even more so than Ethereum or Bitcoin for uh, public authentication systems. Um, so, for example, say you work at a, a, a very important high level company and you need let's just say it's an intelligence agency, right? You're the highest level of information and you need 100% to be in a spot where you're not leaving a trace because, you know, it's this is very important stuff. So if you're this uh, intelligence entity and you wanted to improve the physical security of your actual site, your on-site place, what you would do is you would integrate a Monero server and you would integrate like uh, a key system that would be able to read the encrypted messages. And so if you wanted to enter, for example, a level five door, and you're only like level two, right? You, you scan the QR code, you send a fraction of the coin with your door pin, um, and it's going to return, uh, uh, you're just not authorized, like your key's no good. Um, and what this does is it provides a, uh, a level of obfuscation. So, no one can be uh, sniffing the network activity and pick up what's happening, right? So that's the first thing. So they're protected just from um, from like an obfuscation level. And then when it comes to the actual security clearance level, as we know, with a trusted blockchain, you can't mess with it, right? So whatever data keys you program can't be uh, they can't be forged or duplicated, um, and so. You know, while that is kind of an extreme example, it does show that 100 percent this technology deserves to be innovated on. It deserves to exist. And there's a need for every person, regardless of your kind of stature or where you belong on the kind of hierarchy. Yeah, I mean, like just on the privacy thing alone, just in general, one of my issues with some of the proof of work coins is because proof of stake coins is because they're like. You're staking the coin and what have you, and it, it, it needs to have like an ease of ability to like pay out rewards. You, you end up with one address. So if I go buy like $50,000 worth of, uh, proof of stake coin A, it's all on one address. Well, what's the big problem? Well, the big problem is anybody that knows I'm associated with that address knows exactly how much I have. Right. And they might just come to my house in the middle of the night, stick a gun in my mouth and ask for my keys. Right. Sure. Well, not just that, but let's talk about like uh, uh, governance, right? Say yeah. you're voting against a proposal you don't believe in, and someone knows that you're that 
your that delegator address. Yeah, hundred percent right. Maybe someone finds you and they're like, no, you're gonna vote this other way. It's right digital now. doxing, right? Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and it would it be definitely carries a lot of weight. Um, and so, you know, when it comes to like how how like you should best utilize blockchain technology, um, and obviously this is just my opinion and stuff, but like if if you believe that you have a lot of funds or you're going to become a person of interest or something, the best strategy is to use the public blockchains for interactions. So like NFTs or getting a loan or something like this. And then if you actually want to like store wealth, you probably want to keep it in a privacy coin. And obviously I'm, I'm not here to kind of blast out like, Oh, you should buy this. Um, but for example, like, Haven Protocol is a fork of Monero, and it's not just a coin. It evolved into a platform, so you can burn your Haven for XBTC or XUSD or XGBP, and then at any time you can burn those back for the original asset, right, at whatever the network conversion rate is. Um, and so, you know, I think that would be kind of like the ideal outcome, right? So say you have Bitcoins and you want them to be held, but you don't want anyone to know you have them. Well, you'd convert them to Haven and burn the Haven, and now you have a Bitcoin that's encapsulated inside the Haven network, which is private, right? So privacy wrapped Bitcoin. It's exactly. Like, yeah. It's a privacy wrapped Bitcoin. That, that's I did not know you could do that. That's that's awesome. And then way way lower level, less nefarious things like, let's say you're a company and you take Bitcoin. And you have competitors that sell in your space. And you think, ah, but I'm smart. What I do is I make sure that all my Bitcoin goes to a different address. So every time there's a transaction, a new genera- uh, address is generated. But a lot of people then will say, well, you know, so I don't want to have 500,000 public and private keys. And then later on, that's then moved to maybe an address or a group of addresses. Well, a little bit of time with a little bit of analysis on a blockchain then I can see like, well, these are probably year three like holding addresses and I can see all the transactions related to them. Little analysis from there. Gee, I know exactly what you're selling, when you're selling it, how often you're selling it, what your best selling products are. Like unless you're like the 1999 store, everything costs the same price. I can literally figure out what you're selling and the competitive research I can do with somebody doing a lot of, of Bitcoin transactions. And that's not hiding from the alphabet agencies or whatever. That's just like, I don't want like, my my output from my point of sale software going to my competitor. Essentially, yeah, I mean, if you're exactly not using privacy at all, that's sauce. you know if you yeah if if you're not using some level of privacy with crypto and you're selling to the public, you know maybe your competitors aren't this smart, but sooner or later somebody you know somewhere is going to invent like some sniffer software that's going to make it where anybody can do it, and you will be literally people selling it. I guarantee you. Like when SEO started and people really started to understand it, it wasn't long before there were packages you could buy that literally you stuck in your five biggest competitors that were doing well. And it told you everything they were doing. Like, if you don't think that's oh, going to happen, yeah. it probably already exists. I well, just haven't looked at it. You know, I, I actually want to talk about something cause it's kind of related and kind of security related and, and all these things. So, um, you know, speaking of like being victimized from your actions, having used the public blockchain, I just want to talk about something that happened like a week or two ago on Twitter. Um, I was following, this this group of Twitter people who are I guess they're influencers you want to call them that right 
um, they were targeted by a scammer. And the scammer basically looked at all the projects they were in um, and basically said, like, okay, so they like this kind of project. They like this kind of project. They created a scam project that combined all of those elements, targeted them and all their friends on Twitter and said, oh, you got to buy in, you got to buy in, you got to get in, the pre-sale is starting. Anyways, they ran off with like five to $15 million um, because these people were just, you know, I got to get the next one, I got to get the next one. But they were targeted specifically off their blockchain addresses. Wow. So they heard what they wanted to hear because they were he hearing yeah, what they... Hearing what they had, they just took, you like A, B, and C, so I'm one that is A, B, and C all together in one. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Man, man. And so you're, you're completely right. Like, even a, as a business, right, using a public blockchain may be dangerous to, you know, your trade secrets, basically. Like, like I mentioned, like the McDonald's secret sauce. Like, you can't walk into a McDonald's and go, can I have the recipe for that? They're going to say, piss off, man. Like, no. Nah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, when you use like Ethereum and you run strategies, for example, everyone's watching your strategy. And now you're a target to be front run or someone's going to play counter to you with more money. It's it's pretty wild when you look at like public chains and private chains. I mean, it's honestly funny because when you look at a private chain, there's nothing to see. So. There's no real information that can be ascertained. Yeah, yeah. There's, and, and I think we have to be careful too. Like, it's easy to spin something up right now. Maybe not as easy to spin it up and, and shill it as it was in 2017, but it is. And, and even things that you do as a joke, like, you know, Dogecoin can end up coming around and being a thing. Um, recently at our workshop we did here uh, at our place, um, one of the presenters that wasn't actually presenting on uh, Bitcoin or crypto, they were presenting on uh, on just investment as a whole and said something about douchecoin, right? So me and this other crypto dude, like in five seconds, were like, oh, we're making douchecoin just as a joke. But then everybody wanted it. And our tagline for it was, but what, what you use when you, you have to pay somebody, but you don't want to, right? And we're like, so we're making douchecoin. And like, we'll do it as a joke. We'll throw it out there, let people play with it or whatever. But like you can spin something up and make it everything people want it to be long before you made it actually do anything. And people really need to be careful. I, I try to steer people away from, Hey, this is the next great thing. Like it has to have a use case scenario to me. Like what does it do? That's not already being done or how does it do it better? And what is the probability it will ever execute that? And you know, everybody likes to buy a crypto when it's like 0 0.003 cents. Sure. And it goes to a buck and you're a millionaire, but like, for every one of those, there's there's 10,000 that they just stole the money and they what? You never heard of them because you, you were lucky you never heard of them. Or they're fake. Like there's supposedly somebody that has like $20 billion worth of Shiba in you. No, they don't. Because what's going to happen if that dude tries to sell $20 billion worth of Shiba in you? Yeah. Like it's it, it, you see what I mean? Like if it's not if it can't actually be sold, it doesn't actually matter. You know, maybe right. he can get out with 100%. a couple million bucks before he crashes it. Yeah, no, and and that's that's very interesting. Uh, very interesting point is like people people don't really understand the relationship between like liquidity and trade volume uh, and market cap. Like that's one thing that they still don't get. Um, uh, you know, I'll give me a start on that. I think we need, totally need need to reevaluate 
how we rank cryptos is like the number one, number two, because we do it by market cap. It's freaking stupid. Number three is Tether. Of course it is. Everything trades in and out of it. Is it a good investment? Yeah. It's not a good investment. Nobody, we all know it's going to stay worth a dollar unless it falls apart, right? So it's, it doesn't make it the best crypto to use. It's just, it's just market cap. It's how many units exist and how many hands, right? Like yeah, it's, it's dumb. It's dumb. We need something like trading volume and some market cap multiplier and some liquidity. Like the, the top 10 would look totally different if we had that. I agree. I, I Except think the one that's on the top. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I personally think that like the measurement should be, it should be some formula that takes into consideration how much volume there is, how much liquidity there is, like the plus or minus five to 10%. Um, and it should create like a score out of a hundred based on like the liquidity conditions, because that's going to determine if you can actually get in or out is like how much, how many are in the pool or in the market itself. How do you feel about proof of work versus proof of stake? I go in and out on this one. I think like the most secure network the humans have ever built ever. And I'm including not private, but secure. I'm including the CIA's crap is the Bitcoin network. It's the most, and yeah, it's because yeah. it's proof of work, because it's valuable, and because all of those machines everybody whines about are worrying every day one primary thing, security. You say it's not for counter, you know, prevent counterfeiting, security. You say it's so somebody can't steal my stuff, security. You say so the transaction goes through, security, right? And I don't think proof of stake can ever be as secure as a well-run proof of work network, but I don't know that it doesn't mean it doesn't have some pretty cool applications. Yeah, no, uh, you know, the biggest issue with a, with a proof of stake network, no matter how you slice it, is the distribution of assets. Because if there's no work being proved, right? I mean, it's just like, okay, well, this project could turn out really well, or some really big whales might jump in and now they took advantage, right? Um, so I think it's really hard to say, like, one is better than the other. I don't believe that at all. I think that for sure Bitcoin has a, has a, has a dollar value indication that is so many multiples higher than every other coin in existence for a good reason. Um, when it comes to proof of stake, I honestly think it's much more experimental. Um, that doesn't mean it's not good. Let's, let's be very clear. Proof of stake is better for the environment. That's a fact. There's just not excessive heat being generated. There's not excessive electricity being utilized, right? Um, second to that, I think that the finality times are much more interesting. Let's refer to Cosmos, which you already know a bit about. The blocks are six seconds apiece. You know what I mean? Like, that is fast. Bitcoin's never going to be able to compete at six, six seconds per block, right? I mean... So not natively, find, right? Not natively not across natively. lightning, that's, sure, that's, that's right? Nice. You know, yeah, sure. And there are always ways that we can leverage new platforms or new layers. Um, and the way I've been explaining way. lightning, I think makes sense to people. Lightning's a proof of stake network. It uses it Bitcoin yeah. as a staking mechanism. Like, and then people, whoa, because now you have that pristine capital on one side, and then you have the speed and ease of use on the other. I guess my thing with like transaction speeds. If we're talking about like, like 
records or something like that, where maybe we need to move a large volume of stuff, like like a, a public records application or maybe a private one for like medical records. Maybe it matters, but unless they're going to make cryptocurrency into currency devoid of capital gains taxes when I spend it, it's never going to matter. No one's going to spend it. Not, and I don't mean won't spend it at all. I sell stuff for Bitcoin. I get Bitcoin, you know, weekly. Not really, but I do. Um, like, but you're not going to have people like paying all their bills and stuff in Bitcoin in mass if you have to keep track of all that accounting. Like, so unless we can solve that, I don't know that it matters as much as everybody has made it out to because when people are like, well, this is faster than Bitcoin. So is Litecoin. It's like a second real crypto ever made. Yeah, it's better money, but does it matter? I don't know that it does. Oh, well, it, it depends on the use case. So for someone like me who's like, I'm a smart contract junkie. I love, I love smart contracts. I love, uh, fast execution, right? So from a, from a side of like utilitarian, um, I do see the use case for this. For example, okay. like say that I want to run, um, a profit driven strategy that does basically micro trading on my network. I'm going to want it to be low latency. I'm going to want it to be instant finality. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to want to have to worry about having to pay more gas over time. Um, and that's so, an, yeah, that's I mean, an interesting application. That makes sense. Yeah. And so, you know, obviously you have people who are just, oh, it's faster, it's better. Um, but at the end of the day, the only way blockchain is going to grow from here in value is by what people do with it next. Um, they have to actually continue innovating for it to continue gaining value. That's that's my strict belief. You can't just have these systems run off of speculation forever. The ones that do go to zero, we've seen this before, right? If there's no substance to a system, there's no reason it should stick around. Yeah, we're going to see a lot more of those, I think, in the future. I, it, 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 I, when... We were getting toward the end of that 2017, 2018 cycle. I was like, guys, you gotta, you gotta back out of this stuff. Like you're gonna, I, I said a bloodbath was coming. When I looked in every coin from good legit project to shit coin, literally had the same graph. I was like, this is, this is gonna be bad. And I, I, I don't know if it'll ever be that bad again, but I think right now there's something like 12,000 plus active cryptos that are actually traded in the world. They're not just ones like, like, like Douchecoin that we're going to spin up and, and basically give away, like actually traded tokens. And I can't see the need for that many. And oh, I mean, there is no need for that many. Um, but I think it's good that they're there because that's that's like I think we're going through like an evolution right now. Like all these microbes showed up in, in early Earth and started combining and, and mutating and whatever. And a lot of them went away. But we yeah. ended up with this incredible ecosystem from that evolution, I think you're seeing like a techno evolution. And that means like something you're going to look at and go, that thing's going to survive is going to die. And you're going to get something and go, that's stupid. And it's going to become dominant. Like you just, you don't know. And so you got to let that competition happen. Just, you know, be careful if you're, you know, betting on all those microbes. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I think that, that, that also is a really good example because uh, if you were to really compare like crypto to the internet, right. I saw this recently, like it's in like the 1980s or something, right? So this does make sense that all these internet companies are popping up. Like, you know, pets.com is basically Doge, right? I mean, <laughs> it's the same thing. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, people need to be very careful. And, you know, I, I don't think I can ever say this enough. Cryptocurrency is not an investment. It is a set of software driven tools. And to be very specific, how I view cryptocurrency is that each coin is actually a software license. So when people invest, they're buying a shit ton of software licenses in bulk, expecting that in the future, people are going to need these licenses and they're going to be the ones to distribute them. And so, you know, that's how I really view cryptos. I don't view that I've invested. Like I, I, uh, I stocked up early, right? Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I guess the one place I would actually quantify it as an investment at this point is, is Bitcoin. I, yeah, I, I yeah, kind of put Bitcoin, mean, like, I, I, I've been saying, like, as fundamentals, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Bitcoin to me is money and all these other things are currencies. And so, like, if you think of, if you have a well run economic system and the money is solid, like, the money had, this is what I'm not going to make sure I quote here so I don't say I'm ripping somebody off. This is another Michael Saylor thing. If the money has integrity, the currency doesn't really need to because how yeah. much of your wealth are you going to have in the currency? One, two percent. And it's like when you go to the bar, you withdraw some money from the bank account, maybe take a couple hundred bucks. You drop a five dollar bill on the ground. So what? Right. But if you if you withdrew your entire bank account to go to the bar, that would be dumb. But you better be sure what's in the vault is solid. So I kind of look at like Bitcoin is, I don't, I don't tweak some people. It's digital gold. I'm sorry, Peter Schiff. I'm sorry, the Schiffites and the boomers. It's what it is. Um, doesn't mean that won't ever change, but I don't expect it to. And then everything else is very much Vegas. And it's just like, what's a more risky game in Vegas slots? You know, especially when it was, remember the old school, you put one quarter in and pulled, you can drink, drink yeah, some drinks yeah. for a while, right? You're going to be okay in that, but, or, or playing craps. Like there's different levels of risk even in Vegas. 100%. All right. So, um, what's been like your favorite thing about being involved in crypto over the years? Um, oh man. Uh, well, for me, like before crypto, I don't want to say this with such certainty, but like life was kind of boring. You know, it was like, okay, I'm going to find a TV show to watch now and I'm going to go binge on this and just kind of rot away. Right. Um, but when I started getting into crypto, it was like it, it was incredible. It was like, wow, I have something I can research that's changing every day. Um, and that gives me the opportunity a to never feel bored. So I don't feel like particularly self-destructive. So that's amazing. Um, and then second to that, you know, like. Being able to wake up every day um, and have opportunity, right? The ability to say that, like, I'm on this journey. This journey is going to take me the rest of my life. And I can actually I can actually take it one step at a time and be content with my own progress. Like, you don't have to compare your progress to others as people shouldn't. Um, you know, growth and progress are all relative. Um, and then outside of that, I have to say it's the, the people I've met in crypto, Um all my all my best friends are are crypto people that I've met earlier on in my journey or people I currently meet in my journey. Um, there's just like a connection that I haven't found with 
other people. Like I, I speak to crypto people and, and we align like our morals, our ethics for the most part. I uh, can't say 100% there. Um, and yeah, everyone seems to have a very good disposition. Like we all have the same kind of optimism for the future, right? That like we have a chance to change things. We have a chance to actually set a positive example in place. Um, so for me, crypto is just a very optimistic place. Like I, I can't say that I've ever been overly saddened by it. Of course, market swings are market swings, but after a few years, like you just kind of become numb to the swings in price. I like to I say like this. To say this. Price goes up, price goes down. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I think that's why people that have been in the game for a while, if if you're ethical, you're really careful in what you say to new people. You want them to get in, but you want them to get in with the right expectations. I think it's like it's like a two to four year cycle for people where they become, become immune. To the vacillations in the market, like oh my Bitcoin went up twenty percent, I don't get super excited. Goes down twenty percent, I don't get super depressed. Like it's a long game, and when you've been through it over and over and over, and I thought it was funny, like you know the the flood with China bans Bitcoin, you know that's been going on forever. And I, I said like six months before it happened for real, I said the best thing for Bitcoin will be when China actually bans Bitcoin. So we can stop hearing that China's going to ban Bitcoin. And, and I, I mean, really, like, like this is like, go ahead and do it because you're not going to matter on the global scale. And then when they did it, I was like, well, how do you feel now? I'm like, wait for it. Wait for it. U.S. leads the world in the production of, you know, the mining, production, and innovation of Bitcoin. That took like two months because, yeah, I mean, like, where were you going to go? You know? It was, it was one of the best things that could have happened, honestly, because there were some really big public concerns about the concentration of hash power in China for years. I mean, people were speculating, like, oh, you know, China's mining all the bitcoins. Well, now that discussion is off the table. It is, it is adequately yeah, you can't centralized. Do it. Yeah. yeah. And the majority is like, I think they said 60% is renewable energy, like hydroelectric. Right? Yeah. You know, there's another thing going on right now with the whole energy argument that just makes it zero. Um, and that is that these are deployable solutions. These are being used. I don't know if you've seen them. They don't have conic trailers that are basically full of friggin' ASIC ant miners. It's an entire yeah. Bitcoin farm in a conex. And then it comes with another conex. That conex has a methane generator in it, right? So then they pull into a oil field and they get burning off the flare gas and you can't afford to bottle or pipe or send that gas anywhere. It's not enough to be something you can sell into the, the natural gas market. It just doesn't make any sense. And you've got to do something with it. You can't just vent it off. you got to burn it. So it's burning there. So you pump the flare gas into the methane generator that runs the Bitcoin miners. And so the energy is basically, at that point, it's carbon neutral because that was going to get burnt anyway. In fact, it burns cleaner in a generator, so it's already less carbon than when it came out. But then you could take the, the the carbon from the generator and pump it in the ground. Wow, now Bitcoin market, now it's it's carbon negative, and either they're paying the equivalent of like three cents a kilowatt, or in some places I talk to some people, they basically say we get the gas for free because they have to burn it anyway. And when you take and you put in you know two or three million dollars worth of equipment to mine Bitcoin in, you don't just leave it sit out in the middle of a field where you got you know people wandering around. So you're putting in security guards for it. So the oil well company's like, well, shit, we get free security. Okay. You can have the space. So like 
then once you have that, when you start talking about like hydroelectric and stuff, like Columbia is talking about using waterfalls. Well, now you can use little bitty waterfalls, right? And if you're doing flare gas and this well stops flaring, you just pick your stuff up and move to another well. So the, the energies, that's, we're done. We're done with that discussion for anybody that doesn't just want to hang on to it for, you know, political reasons or whatever, because they just don't like it or whatever. Like and then my other thing I always try to put in perspective is, in Christmas time, like from when we start putting lights up until they come down around the 1st of January, the United States uses more electricity to run Christmas lights than the Bitcoin network does to, to run for a year. We're done. Wow. I'm done. I'm done with the energy argument. I'm, it's gone. Now, if you want to talk the entire crypto space, all the proof of work together, that might be a little bit of a different calculus. But Bitcoin itself, and, and I'm with some people that say, like, I can't wait until it's triple what it is in energy. Because then I'm more secure, right? The more energy, the more secure that we are, you know? Yeah, 100%. That's, that's also a great argument too. And the more secure, it means the higher the competition. It's a very virtuous cycle, right? So all these yep. factors continuously feed off each other. And in the end, you just get like the most strengthened product, right? Because yep. competition's healthy. So. And now that we have these mobile farms, right? And they've been around for like three years, but they're just really picking up steam now. That opens up so much because most power generation facilities, no matter how they generate the power, they're losing 30% out of the gate because you can only move power so far. So now you have these mobile farms. You can make a deal with power generation company XYZ, drop it in, and they're going to sell it for next to nothing because they're losing it anyway. Like I don't think people understand that. You can't, let's say you generate a megawatt of power and you transmit it 100 miles. A megawatt doesn't come out the other side. There's there's a, there's a loss right up front, and that loss can be harvested. So we're getting into a point now where the that energy argument is going to go away. I think, and I think it's very exciting because, like, I, I have low tolerance for the whole the world's going to melt into an, a, a pool and we're all going to drown or whatever. Um, but that that argument led to that innovation, and I love how responsive it is. But you kind of hit on it too when you were talking about it from the very beginning about where your focus goes. I think the most exciting thing about cryptocurrency is it's created more savers than I've ever seen in my life. More people that hold on to their wealth than I've ever seen. Less spending, you know, just stupid spending. And especially in the younger cohort, right? Like usually you get in like your 30s and you like sit down and go, geez, what have I done? Crap. I need to start saving some money and investing a little bit smarter, right? And like when you see like a 22 year old going, I ain't selling that. I don't care. It went down. It's in cold storage. You're a 22 year old. Say cold storage. You're like, ooh, I got some goosebumps, man. I'm starting to think about seventh generation thinking now. You know, I mean, that's the most exciting thing to me. I think out of everything. Yeah, I mean, it really is because it it really begins to touch on some of the the fundamental questions of like, you know, our society. Like, uh, currently, how economies work is like they print money, they pump it out, and they want you to go spend it. Like, come on, bring bring the money back, buy stuff, buy stuff. So, you know, how is that going to affect economics on the long run when you have people who are intelligent with their with their wealth, right? And people who aren't looking to go boost an economy for the sake of boosting an economy, right? Um, I think that you get into some very interesting uh, power dualities where I think maybe some of the strongest change would occur then. When you have kind of a flip in the dynamics where the people are holding their wealth and now they need to be petitioned for good reasons to let go of it. 
I agree, man. So as we wrap up here today, can you tell us a little bit about polarity? Um, I think we hit on it, but like, how do people find it? How do people use it? And what makes, could you hit a little bit on the wallet at, at polarity? Cause I think that's something people need to understand. It's, it, it is your wallet. You hold the keys, et cetera, compared to a typical exchange. Sure. So for anyone interested in visiting the exchange or getting involved with any of the services provided, you just visit polarity exchange, polarity.exchange. Um, and once you're there, basically you have two options. You can create a local account, which is uh, like you have to manage the keys yourself, or you can create a polarity account. Uh, the polarity account leverages some of the highest level security and you can actually read the white paper. It's military grade encryption. You can store your seeds in an encrypted space so you can have any number of wallets managed in a convenient way. And then once you actually get into your wallet, the beauty is that it's a multi-wallet. So when you want to deposit Bitcoin, you go to the deposit menu, select Bitcoin. And when you're done depositing, it wraps the Bitcoin onto your address. So you actually own that. You can redeem it or trade it or withdraw it or use it in dApps or whatever you want without any kind of um, restrictions imposed at any point. It's a blockchain network. Um, second to that, we recently partnered with Transact, uh, which means that we can now provide fiat onboarding services for over 120 different countries and over 40 different national currencies. Um, so that includes like a credit debit card. People can also do bank transfers. Um, and before the end of the year, we actually are going to be releasing a full-fledged Android and iOS mobile app that's going to change the whole face of the platform. So if you thought it was easy to use now, it's only going to be that much easier and that much more direct. And I, I think it's important that we have – Entities like Polarity, there's a lot of advantages to DEXs, um, but it also, I believe, having these, especially when they're run as global organizations and whatever HQ you do have is not inside the United States, which seems to be the, the biggest entity for interfering with the right of people to do commerce on the planet, um, it makes regulators say, well, how do we do this in a way that makes them want to comply or at least try to comply or at least like get in the game with us where they actually see the advantage. Cause I keep telling people when they want to buy Bitcoin in secret, I'm like, I kind of think you want your Bitcoin to be as white as the driven snow because of some of the things we're going to be able to do with it in the future. You know, maybe you don't want it to be tagged as uh, whatever the hell, you know, you would equivalent with a uh, silk road Bitcoin or whatever. Um, yeah. But you also like, I don't trust government at all. A little bit, not at all. Zero, none like negative Celsius zeros, you know, type thing. But they do pay attention to history somewhat here and there. And if you look back through history, if you have like a tariff on an import and that tariff's like 3%, you know what everybody does? They bring it in and they pay the tariff, right? You don't have a lot of smuggling. Like you can see this. It was done here in the United States when it wasn't the United States. Yet it was done in, during like kind of the isolation period in Japan and stuff like that. Like you, you have a low tariff. People are like, screw it. It's only 3%. I don't care. You put an onerous tariff on something, then what do you get? You get smuggling. So you take privacy coins like Monero and R and, and, and Pricey and, and what have you, and you add Nexus to it, and you get into this 
I don't really think I can totally control this thing. So if I make a regulatory environment that's friendly enough, then most of the activity will go on in my environment because there is some benefit to it. If you want to make a lot of money to have your money, like be, you don't need money laundering. You know, if you think about it that way, like organized crime here, you know, I'm talking about like people that are selling drugs or doing trafficking or whatever, like they're one of their biggest problems is they deal in cash. Now, how do I get it into money that we can do other things with? Right. So you don't want that problem. Even if you're doing things that are, you know, maybe they're not legal, but they are moral. you still don't want that problem. So I think by having this world of, if, if you got to be blunt, if you're going to fuck around, you're going to find out. Like if you want us to go underground, we can do that shit. I think you're a lot more likely to get a more regulatory friendly environment. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think what's going to happen in the end is, like I said, you have these two houses and what's going to happen is they're going to work on arrangements between the basically the bridge people walk across. Um, so, you know, at, at this moment, like, when I recommend crypto to people, I always recommend people to be honest. Um, you know, so like if they bought Bitcoin, you should report it. You should you should pay what you owe. Right. Um, I think that if the government is interested in finding a better way to regulate it, I agree with you that if they were to impose some lower tax that was much more reasonable, you would have adoption from almost all of the payment merchants or, you know, all the people that were interested parties. But as it stands, the clarification is is very poor. Um, and, you know, they classify Bitcoin as like a commodity. And so it's subject to wrong or questionably wrong or however people see it. Um, it just needs to be adjusted. Right. Um, but I mean, here would be an idea. And, and so nobody thinks I've lost my mind and I'm advocating for taxes. They're going to tax us. Right. And right now, if I get a if I get a half of uh, a Bitcoin from Grey Wolf, and I spend it, and in the hour between when I got it and I spent it, it goes up 5%. I owe capital gains on that 5%. This is insane. And it makes things like having my employer pay me in Bitcoin and paying my electric bill in it an accounting nightmare. And if you want a company to do that, it's a total accounting nightmare. If you annualize this, and you said Bitcoin received and spent within the same tax year is is treated as currency, and held Bitcoin is subject to capital gains. You know what? Is it perfect? No. Is it what I would do? No. But is it reasonable for both sides? Yes. Does it solve the problem mostly? Yes. Right. Can we now have a Bitcoin economy and a long-term investment strategy with Bitcoin at the same time? Yes. Does it open up charters upon charters of walls of money to come in? Yes, yes, and yes. Right. Like, like, and that's like, I'm a redneck hippie duck farmer. Like, this isn't that hard to figure out. I think that like, they have to get to the point where they feel bent enough over the barrel that they're like, we gotta, we gotta make a deal. You know, we gotta cut a deal or we're gonna lose. And I think that's where things like privacy coins, DEXs, DeFi is pushing the government. They know they have to make a deal. And then their buddies are, like you said, their buddies are all jumping into this now. And like, I think that you might find within a year or two, maybe one of the biggest lobbyists on K Street is like the crypto lobby or the Bitcoin lobby. Right. Yeah, I, I fully expect that in the coming years that all these people you see speaking on CNBC and all the kind of big industry titans, um, they're all going to be jumping on board and they're all going to be. Well, firstly, they're going to be seated in their positions. Right. That's the key. They always take their positions 
They do a little bit of FUD, say it's bad, try and get some more, and then they get their friends in. And then once they get their friends in, they open the doors to retail. Um, and so we've kind of seen this retail entering the space, and we've kind of seen more institutions coming in. So, um, you know, I think they're going to drive a lot of the regulatory innovation through lobby groups. And, uh, I mean, these guys already got rich off crypto, and so the only thing you do now is secure your wealth, right? Um, so I just – I think it would be crazy if – you know, crypto was like a, a scary, upsetting ride from here out. I think it's going to be pretty darn predictable from here out. Like in, in my mind, there's very little room for like uh, for mysteries, mysteries, you know. I agree. And I think if, if you just think about it this way, if all of the really big hodlers threw 2% of their wealth in and created a consortium, like a, like a trust that paid for lobbying, like the Winklevoss twins, like Michael Saylor, like Elon Musk, like all of the billionaires that are Cuban, just one or 2% of their crypto holdings, not their total net worth, and put that into a smart contract that spit out like a, like a, like, uh, like, like a trust to, to fund lobbying. I mean, you could probably, cause like it sucks that you can buy results in DC, but that's the game, right? That is the yeah, game. Right. And the money's there to do it. And I, I think they just don't want to do it yet because I think they still are getting their buddies in. Uh, the exception, I think, is Sailor. Sailor's basically screaming to everybody, buy, 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 buy. Um, everybody else seems like they pulled this little bit of bullshit. And I think it's an interesting progression. Have you noticed this? Like, in 2011, 2012, computer nerds argued about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. By 2013, 2014, influencers like me arguing about it. And then by, like, 2017 – Multi-millionaires and VCs were arguing about Bitcoin. And you know who's arguing about Bitcoin today? Billionaires. It's kind of a pattern, right? And I've, I've been big on my audience over the years. Like when you see a pattern, it, there's a reason you see the pattern. It's because it's there because we're hardwired to see that pattern. Well, not just we're hardwired to see patterns, but as humans, we are hardwired to act in patterns. We're creatures of habit, right? Yeah, definitely. We got one question here. Um, do you guys have like a medium account for polarity? Oh, we absolutely do have a medium for polarity and it's even got some getting started guides as well. So I'll send that to you over Telegram so you can put it. Yeah, do that and I'll make sure it gets in the show notes. And then I would tell people Telegram. Um, polarity is a great Telegram group and channel and be a great thing to get on if you want to know more about Polarity. Before you go, dude, do you have anything new from Polarity that you want to make sure people know about? Uh, yeah, I just want to reiterate that the, the Fiat is live, and we have an amazing mobile app coming before the end of the year. Um, and, yeah, I, we did our best to simplify the experience when you use it on your phone. It's kind of got this, like, modern feel to it. Uh, we took that even further, so when people – boot it up, it should feel like we're aiming to be the best mobile wall. That's all I can really say. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, hey, I appreciate you being with us today. Uh, thanks for, for uh, reaching out and thanks for uh, spending about an hour and a half with us today, dude. Oh, I'm, I'm really pleased to have been able to make it to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I always look forward to being able to show up on further ones. Really enjoyed having Gray Wolf on. Remember, if you want to share just the heart of today's show, 
Um, unless something went wrong like it did yesterday, that video should be available on YouTube uh, long before you even hear this in the audio feed if you're listening to the audio podcast. And you can share just the center of that. If you're you know wanting to get through to somebody that wants kind of wants to learn more about cryptocurrency but doesn't really get it, I think that would be a great one to share with them. Uh, remember, if you like this show and the work that we do, you can always support us how? Realist, really the easiest, most painless way. Uh, we're coming up on you know shopping season for the holidays. You're probably going to buy something online in the next day or two. Just go to tspaz.com before you shop online. And if you start there, you'll help us out no matter what you buy. It's that easy. Now, today's item of the day, and remember, I never recommend an item unless I own it, I use it, I bought it, I tried it, and I would buy it again if I needed to buy it again. That's my brand. It's integrity. Today is absolutely the case, and it's the sous vide cooker from Anova, specifically the Nano, which is the one you just kind of put in, set the thing, and hit the button, the low-tech one. I have the high-tech one. You want me to be honest with you? I've never used the high-tech features. I use it the exact same way. I got it because when it came out, that's what there was. The low-tech one is normally like $129. It's on sale today for $89. $89. Go check this thing out. I was a slow convert to sous vide. It seemed kind of prissy and chefy and I am a foodie but it's like I don't know cooking food in hot water sealed in a plastic bag just didn't seem like it was a good idea until I tried it and then I learned all the other things that you can do with sous vide beyond just making great steaks those are all in an article write up that I did today that you can find at tspaz.com or the survivalpodcast.com but if you've been thinking about getting in a sous vide it doesn't get better than this this is a top quality product at a stupid cheap price. The other thing I would say, if you own a Jewel and a Nova, whatever, and you're happy with it, but you own one sous vide cooker, I know there's been times where it's like, I want medium rare, and he wants medium rare, and they want medium well. And there's things you can do. I even give you hacks on how to do it today in the write-up. But what if you just had two sous vide cookers? Or what if you wanted to do something like asparagus? Suvi asparagus is amazing, but it cooks at a much higher temperature than a steak. You see the problem there. There's so much you can do with sous vide. If you already own one, you've been thinking, yeah, I might want to have a second one. Top quality, cheap price, time to act. And again, I'm not blowing the alarm whistle on the supply chains. I do think if it's something that's not going to go bad, you know you want to buy it anyway, you have the money for it, and there's a good deal on it now, get it now. If you want to get it for a Christmas present, get it now. This is a good one. Check it out again. It's the Anova Suvi Nano Cooker. And don't worry, Nano doesn't mean it's little or anything, really. It just doesn't have all the network functions where you can start it from your car on your way home from work. I thought that was really cool until I never, ever used it. Um, put it in, turn it on, push a button. It's that simple. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap up. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Remember, um, if all the cryptocurrency seems a little bit too crazy for you, I understand. But I believe, above all things, right now, there's one asset you can't afford not to have some of, and it's Bitcoin. And anybody can buy it at spot price, very easily from a company, you know, whoever you want to do it with fiat with, and then move it to a private wallet. Right? Anybody can do that. And it's not hard. If you can use a PayPal account, it's honestly as easy as that. You might learn a different term or two, like we talked about today, but it's that easy. And put some money in Bitcoin and sweep some of that excess capital into there. 
because I've only been saying this since 2014, and my, my statement that if you don't, you'll wish you had only becomes more true. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. You pull yourself up, they keep bringing you down. Are they gonna bail you out or just run you around? They said you should have a house the American way. Dollar down, a dollar a month, and you'll never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. You don't have to be another face in the crowd. We forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution